Greetings and welcome to the Bible Unbound podcast, the book of Revelation. Well, today we're going to consider John's vision of Jesus Christ found in Revelation chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. If you're an American, you uh, are very aware that today we live in an exceedingly divided nation. The book of Proverbs chapter 29 says that where there is a lack of vision, the people, literally in the Hebrew it says, they come apart, disunity. And I've never felt our nation so divided as it is today. And unfortunately, this coincides with the loss of interest in true Christianity based upon the scriptures. Many in the millennial and Gen Z, Gen Gen X generations are leaving the church, and a lot of times they're just leaving the faith or leaving anything transcendent altogether behind. Cultural nihilism. Nihilism means nothingness from the philosophy of Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, Many have imbibed a sort of cultural nihilism or nothingness. Nothing matters. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. There's no hope. And so the culture is giving itself to things that are very, very futile, very, very shallow, very, very much in the nature of the flesh. And this is very unfortunate because it is only the Christian faith that has as its core transcendent beauty and richness and harmonious nature of of the elements of creation and of God Almighty and of the fact that he sent his son as an answer to human hopelessness, despair, and meaninglessness. Listen to some of the phrases that are used to describe the faith that we all embrace. The heavens are opened used frequently in the scriptures. Or Paul stating that we've been raised up, seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus, that our life is hidden in Christ, or that we're rooted and grounded in love, and that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the height, width, breadth, and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge." But we, for for the most part, set these things aside, and we're fighting many, many lesser battles in the culture. And I want to suggest that the words we are about to begin to consider, John's vision of Christ here in Revelation chapter 1, can transform our eyes to where we can have eyes that see and ears that truly hear. Now imagine the setting. John has written his letters. They are part of the whole series of visions that God gave to him while in that prison cell on Patmos. And here you are in a small uh, house in Western, well, what we would call Western Turkey. John addressed it as Asia Minor, there on the shores of the Aegean Sea. And there you are, maybe a, a member in a community of believers, and your pastor is about to read this part of the strange vision. And then following the vision, letters 
that were pinned to specific churches. And maybe you're there as part of the church at Ephesus. And maybe you've sensed that things were not 100% right in your church, that there seems to be a loss of the first love experience. And Christ suddenly is addressing you through the letter that was written by the Apostle John. The words of Jesus to you and to your church. How would you feel? Well, it would depend. I mean, if you were a member of, say, Ephesus, you would be hearing words that were both encouraging but then very discouraging. And there's even a command to repent. Or if you were part of the church at Philadelphia, it would be different. You'd be very encouraged that there was no corrective words written to you, only commendation. But the biggest question of all is, how did Jesus know? How does he know all these things? How does he know what's happening in our church down to very fine details? Well, you could say he was omniscient because he is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. But actually, there's there's another answer that would fit our context quite nicely, and that's because the very theme of Revelation 1 through 3 is Christ in the midst of the church. Remember, John sees Jesus Christ as walking in the midst of what he calls golden candlestick. But then in verse 20, that's interpreted for us that the candlesticks, in fact, are the churches. Seven, meaning completeness, timelessness. These are words for all of us. So as we begin to take up the words in particular, I want you to consider yourself as part of that little group of recipients who are hearing the words of Jesus Christ in a letter written directly to you. So let's begin in verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, or candlesticks. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, who was clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, John says in verse 17, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, those that are to take place after this. 
As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So we want to begin with the central theme of the vision, the glory of Jesus Christ in verses 12 through 16. So imagine it in your mind. You hear this voice that says, Behold, I am alive forevermore. And then around that bold declaration swirl these attributes and characteristics and pictures of this incredible image, this being who was coming to John in this vision. In verse 12, he turns to see the voice, this tremendous figure, and he recognizes who it is, but yet he's also so different. So imagine these nine attributes. By the way, the book of Daniel is one of those places in the Old Testament where John dips the hook of his weaver's rod into the Old Testament and pulls out narratives very similar to what we've just read. Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 10, both have almost identical visions. They mean uh, something very important. We will get to those uh, subsequently. But in verse 12, where John says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, he saw seven golden lampstands, and he said one was in the midst of the lampstands, and this one was like a son of man. So what Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 7 as the Ancient of Days, John sees as the Son of Man obviously bearing some incredible authority because he's walking in the midst of the lampstands as if he owns them. And in fact, they are his very body, the living presence of his body on the earth are the lampstands. That's exactly what we read in verse 20. So if Jesus stands in the midst, what does that trigger? We see that in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says these very words, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. Let's consider verse 13. We read clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest, obviously depicting high priestly garments. So we read in Hebrews 1021, that we do have a great high priest over the house of God. Verse 14, the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. Back in Daniel 7, that's the picture we see. As I looked, Daniel says, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. This is probably symbolic of authority that is ancient, timeless, proven, and unrivaled. Again, we read, his eyes were like a flame of fire, discerning and judging evil. Later in Revelation chapter 19, in the, one of the most dramatic scenes of victory, it says heaven was opened. Behold, a white horse, one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Verse 15, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. That is the refining process of 
encouraging fires of moral purity. He tells the church at Laodicea, you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire. So he utilizes this refining process in this symbol. Verse 15 at the middle part of the verse, it says, And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Have you ever been to Niagara Falls? It's not just the sight, it's the sound that grips you. You're surrounded by the sound of many mighty waters. David recalls this deep calls to deep. Psalm 42, at the roar of your waterfalls. Then moving on to verse 16, in his right hand he held seven stars. In verse 20, the stars are called the angels of the churches. Verse 20 again, the lampstands are the churches. Christ walks in the midst, holding the stars in the light of the golden candlesticks. Again, where two or three are gathered, there am I, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. Then again in verse 16, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His word is the word of justice, the word of deep-searching discrimination, the word of God, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division soul and spirit, joints and marrows, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So again, Hebrews 4, teaching what is recorded for us in visual format here in the book of Revelation. Similarly, Isaiah chapter 11, And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. And to the church at Pergamum, he says, Therefore repent, if not, I will come to you soon and war against you with the sword of my mouth. This is obviously the idea of judgment, something that's very popular in our day, right? No, our apostate and our compromising church in America detests the idea, the concept that God is just. You don't draw a crowd by preaching God's justice, but you do draw God's attention. It is time for us to be faithful to his word and leave the results to him, regardless of how much it may diminish our popularity. Because remember, Peter reminds us that judgment begins where? In the house of God. So tremble, church in America in this day. Why don't we see God's judgment on the church in this day? Well, we do. The number is about six to 10,000 churches die each year in America. That's Christ plucking his candlestick, his light from among them, and leaving them to themselves and turning them over to the world with whom the church has fallen in love. Well, finally, we see that in his face was like the sun shining in full strength. We think back to the origin of this biblical concept of light. Do you know where that's found? It's found on day one 
of the creation narrative. In Genesis 1 and verse 2, God says, let there be light. And we know that Christ was participating in the creation scene with God. He was there. He was, in fact, that light. Because when Christ comes into the world, it says that he is the light of the world and that the light of men was in him. He is the light of the world. John 1.5 says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Think of Mount Transfiguration and how the main element was light. Similar to right here, it's light. On the road to Damascus, Paul saw the great light of Christ shining. And later he wrote, For God who said, Let there be light, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And where is this light found? In the face of Jesus Christ. So ever since that great first day of creation, God established two moral realms. One was the realm of darkness and one the realm of light. Two moral realms, not three, not four. You and I and everyone we see around us is in one of those two realms, is a citizen of one of those two realms. Thank God, Colossians 1.13, we have been translated from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his dear Son. So, think of this incredible, incredible sight John's witnessing. This towering figure in his high priestly garment, hair like wool, eyes piercing the dark, voice like a thousand Niagara Falls, crystal brilliance in his right hand, seven shimmering stars, a darting sword-like power of his word, his face shining in the radiance of a thousand suns. And so what does John do? Verse 17, he collapses. I fell down at his feet as though dead. As we wrap things up in our podcast episode, I just want to ask you, a uh, couple of questions. Number one, is this the Christ that we see? When you go to church, do you see anything like this? When you open up your own Bible, do you see anything like this? No, we don't. What about the guy in a prison camp in North Korea? What does his vision see? Well, his vision does not see wealth, good bank account, Decent health, nice new car, none of that. He sees the Lamb who is worthy to die for. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the vision that John saw of Jesus should be something of what captivates our minds when we think about Jesus Christ and especially his presence among the candlesticks, that is, the church. We see Christ presented to us in his glory and also in his justice. And the fact is we need both of those or we are not proclaiming the true and living Christ. He is in 
the literature of C.S. Lewis, the figure of Aslan, the Christ figure, the lion. And in the Chronicles of Narnia, Lucy asks Mr. Beaver, Is he safe, this Aslan? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Well, thank you for joining us today again on the Bible Unbound podcast, the book of Revelation. We hope to see you next time. Have a blessed day.